What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Go. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knock Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my esteemed co-host Andy Bailey. This is now, you know, in the past two or three podcasts, Andy and I have now been together. This is this is quite the streak. Uh, we're also going to be picking up the second part of our unofficial series podcast where we looked at last time with NBA Matt's Adam Frommel and Arjun Barwad. Uh, we looked at the slow, cold starts and whether we should panic or not over them. This time, Andy and I are going to talk a lot about some of the most standout players and teams and aspects of teams and, and whether or not their performances are sustainable right now. So first and foremost, Andy... Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, get an amazing deal on Reuben's Corned Beef Brisket, just $2.99 a pound. That's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores. Also, start your morning off right with Fersanto Cafe Single Serve Brew Cups. 80-count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99. That's a wow savings of up to 50%. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Uh, I'm happy to be back again. Like you said, two out of three. I feel like um, harmonious things are, are going to happen here. It's better than two of three is better than Ben Simmons' free throw percentage right now. So there you go. And that's one of the only knocks we can make against uh, Ben Simmons. Oh my God! Should we just start with Ben Simmons? <laughs> what, like that. It works like for me. Organic segue. So let's yeah. talk about Ben Simmons, who has been just absolutely ridiculous and the Sixers offense is an elite with him on the court it is better when you look at the on-off numbers but just watching him he's one of those guys that makes you just a believer in the eye test and it doesn't help uh excuse me it doesn't hurt that right now only two rookies including him will have cleared 18 points nine rebounds and seven assists per game can you guess who the other rookie was that did that for for an entire season Oh, geez. Oscar? Yes. That's the only one it could be. Him and Oscar (laughs) Robinson, like, that's absolutely absurd. I don't care if Ben Simmons still can't shoot. Uh, I looked this up last night, too. What's interesting, he hasn't really attempted any three-pointers because it's classifying five of his deep balls as backcourt shots. So he's just avoiding the three-pointer altogether. 
but he's shooting 53.8% in isolation. He's just he's an absolute beast. He's making passes that I can't even fathom as I'm watching them live. He is incredible. Um, I've already watched the Sixers probably four or five times this season um, just because he's one of my favorite players to watch and really one of the only players I've ever consistently watched in college in the last like five to ten years um, as well. I watched almost every one of his games on LSU or at LSU. And it the game almost looks easier for him in the NBA. And I, I think there's just so much more space for him to operate. There's guys who can actually finish these incredible passes um, that he's throwing out there. And the theme of this episode is is kind of whether or not these guys can continue to produce at this level. And I think that's I think Ben Simmons absolutely can because when I watch him play, it doesn't feel like he's really pressing at all. Um, he plays at his own pace. He's just going to get rebounds by accident because he's he's huge, six um, ten, super athletic. He just he's all over the floor, so the rebounds are going to come. His vision is unbelievable, um, and he, like I said, he has guys now on his team that can actually finish these incredible passes that he's throwing. And I, I just <laughs> back to him not pressing. I, I rarely see him take a bad shot, and I'm not. I'm fine with him not taking threes too. I think Giannis is sort of laying down a blueprint for how you can be uh, an effective superstar these days without shooting threes. I think just having the ball. Somebody wrote this article, and I wish I could credit him, but a year or two ago, it was about how Milwaukee's plan was to still have gravity with Giannis just because he has the ball. So he doesn't have to shoot threes, but as whoever has the ball, the defense has to pay attention to. And I think that's what's going on with Simmons too. And he knows he can get to the rack. Um, he knows he can be efficient enough as a scorer um, to let all the other aspects of his game shine. This is a long rambling uh, answer, but I, that's what Ben Simmons does to me. I agree with everything you just said. And I don't think it was long at all. I think all of that was, <laughs> was necessary. And he's uh, defensively, you just see so much switchability. And, like, some of the yep. reads are just not there. He hasn't been great against the pick and roll. He hasn't been spectacular against one-on-one -on -one scores. But the, the switchability is just there. His defensive rebounding has been absurd. Um, I, I, he's the I, – like, the rookie of the year race is over. This is just – Oh, yeah. If he's healthy, like, there's just – it's over. So I, I, I'm honestly just I'm, – I'm, I'm wondering if we should be – even the least bit surprised by how well he's playing because he was the number one overall pick and it's an Embiid like situation where he had the year his first well Embiid had the first two years off but he had the first year off he's around an NBA team he got a feel for what the Sixers were doing he was there involved with the process had a year to really work on his his body without having to deal with school and all that uh, I just I, should we be surprised by this at all because I f I feel like we're disarmed and I don't know if it's just because wow, the Sixers have hit on this other top pick, but maybe we shouldn't be surprised. I'm going to lean toward, and we, we kind of need like a catchphrase, I guess, for the rest of this podcast. We just want to call it sustainable or nah. I'm going to go with sustainable. I don't, you know, maybe his scoring dips a little bit, his efficiency in certain situations will dip a little bit, but I, I think, you know, 18, 9, and 7, those are reasonable numbers for how this guy plays. Yeah, I would go sustainable too. Um 
it's kind of like the Blake Griffin situation too. Another guy who missed a year and I think is actually kind of similar to Ben Simmons in a lot of ways. Um, 6'10", power forward, who can run a break. Obviously, Ben Simmons does the playmaking stuff um, even better than, than Blake Griffin, who's incredible at it. But I'm going to go sustainable as well. Um, and the thing that surprises me, I didn't see him being like a near 20-point-per-game scorer this quick. My, my vision of him was like a 6'10", Jason Kidd. And I thought his first couple years would be like, 11, 7, and 7, maybe, or 12, 7, and 7, which would still be really, really good for like a first or second year player. Mm -hmm. um, that he is already able <laughs> to get to the rim seemingly whenever he wants. Um, that's, that's the surprise to me. And I don't really, I mean, I think his shooting percentages could regress a little bit. But like I said, I'm not seeing him take very many bad shots. Um, a lot of what he does is, is, open layups around the rim and he's not going to force things that that are going to be uh tough for him to make so i i honestly wouldn't be surprised if he finishes around 50 percent from the field too that that definitely wouldn't surprise me it's just uh, just some of his shooting in general uh, isn't he shooting close to 70 percent at the rim i can't remember and again the the 50 little mid-range jumper is like a little ahead of schedule too so i think that's something that could uh slow down a bit yeah he's shooting almost 68 percent at the rim too that i i guess that could probably hold especially if we're gonna go with like the Giannis comparison 53.8 percent in isolation is pretty it, he hasn't taken a lot of them i think it's eight of 11 or so or seven of 13 that's still absurd but again 18 9 and 7 on above average efficiency that's that's not just like a great rookie line that's <laughs> I mean, before James Harden and uh, Russell Westbrook did what they did last year, 18, 9, and 7 from anybody would have just been, like, eye-popping. Well, so, I, you know what? I'm actually going to look at that, and I'd like you to riff on this while I do, uh, just because it's a good stalling tactic as well. But do you think, do you th do, when you look at him, and you're talking about the mid-range game being ahead of schedule, do you see him developing a consistent jumper as time goes on at all? I think he can be fine from 15 feet and like I said I I think there's kind of a blueprint in place now that that's okay I don't um you know there was a little piece of me that thought yeah you absolutely have to be able to hit the three in today's NBA uh to make it work but I think guys like Giannis and Ben Simmons are showing now that it's not necessarily like 100 percent must if you can stretch a defense out to like 15 16 feet uh, and still be able to get to the rim whenever you want. I think I think that's going to work, and I I think that is sort of the path for for Ben Simmons too. And like I said, that little mid range jumper, it's a little ahead of schedule right now. It looks weird to me. Like I saw a video of him warming up the other day, um, and as he was going up, I I seriously thought he was going to shoot it right handed, and he still ended up shooting it left. That's probably not a good sign form wise, but he's hitting it, um, and. As long as that keeps going, or even at like a near league average pace from mid range, I, I think that's more than enough for him, given everything else that he does. I would agree with everything you said. And while I looked up, I wanted to see NBA history, regardless of your experience level, how many players have averaged at least 18 points, nine rebounds, and seven assists per game. There are only eight other players aside from Ben Simmons right now. And you need, are you ready for the names of these eight other players? It's Harden and Westbrook are going to be two of them. Harden is not on this list. 
Oh, because he probably never got nine rebounds. Yeah, and that's yeah. pretty. Um, unless your team's really going to help you get the rebounds, like Westbrook did. Like Westbrook's been on this list twice because of what's happening this season. Anyway, Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain, John Havlicek, Grant Hill, Magic Johnson, Fat Lever, Oscar Robinson, Russell Westbrook, and the only that players. And we're, so if we're and if we're talking about this happening multiple times because if Ben Simmons is doing this as a rookie, we have to assume it's going to happen again. The only players who've done it multiple times, Robertson, Westbrook, Bird, and Chamberlain. That's unreal. So Ben Simmons, the verdict is sustainable. Yeah. I think I'm with you on that. I think since you were, you kind of talked about him and brought him up with the Ben Simmons argument, we really need to move on to Giannis Antetokounmpo right now, who has become, the NBA's MVP favorite, uh, odds-on M- MVP favorite. I'm not sure how I feel about that because th- I know Westbrook opened the door for great players and mediocre teams to win the title, but Milwaukee's almost painfully middling and looks even closer to below average right now. But Attentacupo is just, he's just nuts. I don't, I, and I tweeted this out before, and I said, I don't know, like, he's shooting 76.1% on contested field goal attempts, which is with defenders between zero and four feet of him. And he's shooting over 80% when they're within two feet of him. I just don't... His his length, his strides are ridiculous. He's even quietly shooting a very small volume, but 35% from three right now. And if if he's the guy that you can have shoot, let's say from three 50 times or 60 times or 70 times per year where it's you know, a half of attempt per game, and he's going to knock down anything close to the league average. What the hell happens? Because you can't guard him now. And I just watch him. He does so many different things on offense, uh, on offense. And then there's just the the defensive end. Like there's a lot of scrambling going around with the Bucks because they're they're so aggressive, and it it really burns them from time to time. But like, and I know these numbers because I looked him up last night. He's guarding as many isolations as Chris Middleton, as many spot-ups as Jalen Brown, and as many shots at the rim as Anthony Davis. This, I don't, <laughs> like, what, like, how? He literally is everywhere on the floor. Um, and I, in answer to your question, how, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe just because he has, a, <laughs> he has a combination of length and athleticism, I guess we've never seen. Um, I don't know what he's listed at these days. Six eleven. Yeah. Um, I feel like he's. A, I, I think he's one of those rare players who's actually taller than his listed height. Um, I've always thought that he's, with uh, Durant. Obviously, I think that's the big one. Yeah. Did you ever see that? Remember that picture of Durant standing next to Boogie, who's listed? At, yeah. He's like two inches taller than Boogie. <laughs> so how about we'll go with this? Giannis Antetokounmpo is allegedly six eleven. Okay, I'm. I'm saying he is a seven footer. Who moves um, in a way I, I've never seen a seven footer move? Um, I, I guess we could say Kevin Durant moves uh, similarly. I don't. I don't know if Durant was quite this explosive ever, um, and that sounds crazy to say. Just as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, uh, it's, well, I don't know if was, that's true. But he's always been more of a finesse player, and he because yeah, his jump exactly. shot was better, he's going to have more of the rise and fire to his game. And then the other thing. My my first instinct when I hear those numbers about Anadokounmpo with with guys close to him and his shooting percentage, what did you say? It was like seventy something. He's at um 
He's and eighty percent when they're within two feet. Right, twenty-two of twenty-seven when they're within two feet. When they're within zero to four feet, sixty-seven of eighty-eight, which is seventy-six point one percent. So yeah, I was like, when I first see that, I think, okay, that's that's bound to regress. Maybe that's one area we can pinpoint as something that will come back down to earth a little bit. But when you think about like when you actually watch Giannis play, um, I think a lot of those contested shots are probably coming at the rim. And contest is like a relative term when it comes to Giannis because I don't know if there is anybody who actually can contest him. Um, that he had a play I, I I don't even remember who it was against, but he caught the ball uh, in the post and there was literally like three guys just draped all over him, and he took like two pivot steps and. <laughs> Out of nowhere, just expl- it, it was like that scene from The Matrix where all the Agent Smiths are piling on top of Neo in the park, and all of a sudden he just bursts out of them and flies off into the universe or whatever. That's what Ana DeCupo did with NBA defenders and just dunked it like they weren't even there. Um, I don't think there's any way <laughs> to slow this guy down when he wants to score at the rim. And so while those numbers might regress a little bit, I, I think even by the end of the season, we're going to look at him and be like, wow, how is that possible? And it's, I mean, you, you, and his shot distribution isn't that much different, which is crazy. And I would agree that you're 100% right about contested being a relative turn for him. Like, how do you contest him if his arms can basically be 10 feet above your head when he's in the air? He's Half his looks still come inside three feet of the basket. And that's not, if you look at his career splits, it was 49.6% inside three feet last year, 50.9 the year before 50.6 the year before that. So he hasn't necessarily changed his shot selection all that much. I, and so why wouldn't this efficiency be close to sustainable? Because it's not, he's just improving upon things that he's already done. He's always been a good finisher at the rim for the last, I, I would say he's been exceptional the last three years. I, I look at his performance and I would give it an over a resounding sustainable. The only two questions I would have is, is he going to shoot 60% overall? My, my guess is no. And the bigger question is 35.3% from three on 2.1 attempts per game. That feels unsustainable given what we know from him because it would be basically an 8% jump from what he did last year. And th- those are my only questions about the sustainability of this. It has nothing to do with, with volume, uh, with his playing time, with, with injuries, or with the team he plays for, because there is there is no way of stopping him. And I think you can still argue that he's an imperfect player because of the iffiness attached to his jump shot. And if we're going to use those disclaimers now, given how he played last season, why wouldn't we buy into everything he's done thus far? Yeah. I, I'm with you absolutely. I, and I was thinking, even if he does regress, and I feel like we could say this about Ben Simmons too, like even if the counting stats drop one or two across each category, it, it's still an absurd line. Like if Giannis ends up averaging twenty nine nine and five, that's I mean, <laughs> I just I you can't I and I was doing this yesterday. You cannot tinker with his per game splits and find anyone comparable. But I don't I don't know what you're gonna use if you're using any three of steals, blocks, points, assists. That's the other and thing with him that we haven't even mentioned is the steals and the blocks. Yeah, he, it's just I, crazy. I mean, you kind of did when when you talked about how he's guarding ISO spot ups and the rim. 
Like he is everywhere defensively. And he his counting stats would be better if he if he wasn't. Like picture what happens if he focuses on one area. He would probably have more deflections and steals per game. If he was protecting the rim more instead of yeah. flying around the perimeter, he would have more blocks per game. It I I, I don't know what to I, – I mean, uh, maybe he doesn't average 10 rebounds the rest of the year. Who the heck knows? We, Greg Monroe is injured, so maybe you have to. You don't know what's going on with Thon Maker there, so John Henson is kind of your best defensive rebounder. Then after that, who is it? It's Atentacupo probably. Uh, do you, I would say yes, he could lead the NBA in scoring like he's doing right now. I'm going to say yes, he will continue to average more than five assists per game. I don't know what part of his performance you look at aside from maybe the three-point shooting and say, oh, well, this is unsustainable. Yeah, and again, even if that does drop off, that takes him from like 31 to 29. <laughs> right, so it's... It's crazy. Um, so, Octentacumpo, verdict, we're both in... Very uh, sustainable. In yep. lockstep. Super duper, incredibly, without question, sustainable. Uh, <laughs> who, do you want to, uh, who do you want to move on to next? Um, we've done two sustainable, so I'm going to do one that's... Not necessarily a not sustainable, but uh, we'll maybe spoil. We'll maybe <laughs> we'll maybe be uh, lean us in that direction a little bit. Um, I'm going to say the Indiana Pacers generally. So I before we uh, started recording, I actually pegged Demonis Sabonis as a hot start guy that I would want to talk about, but they have three players who are. Um, playing at career levels right now. Victor Oladipo, Sabonis, and Darren Collison, too, has been ridiculous. Look at you with um, the under-the-radar drop right there. <laughs> he he had a game the other night where he was like 9 of 10 from the field and had uh, you know a bunch of assists, as he always does. He is an underrated aspect of the Pacers' success. Obviously, uh, Oladipo and Sabonis are getting most of the headlines right now because they were a part of that Paul George trade. Um, but all three of these guys are absurd right now. I... Um, on Sabonis, TJ Leaf too. He's been pretty good. Yeah, he's been solid. He's he's only playing uh, maybe like 15 minutes a game. I, I'd have to look that up. But... Yeah, 16.1. Okay, uh, but yeah, he's been good. They they have a lot of good things going in Indiana. Um, on Sabonis, I actually looked up his. I compared his second year numbers to his father Arvidas, <laughs> who is an NBA Hall of Famer uh, or a basketball Hall of Famer, I should say. He was a lot older obviously for his second season, but the numbers were like eerily similar uh, between Demonis and Arvidas. Like he's, he's playing at an absurd level. All the depot scoring like 23, 24 points a game. Um, anyway, all this is to say, like, do we think that the Pacers generally what they're doing right now is sustainable because they're playing at a ridiculous level. I mean, they just smacked the Cavs the other night. Well, who isn't smacking the Cavs? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's not, I, it's not sustainable, and you and I have gone back and forth, I think, multiple times now. We did basket brawl for NBA math. We've had a couple conversations on the side about Victor Oladipo's performance. It's just not – like, it's just uh, – he, yes, he should have a career year because he's being given more freedom, and he's not in those, like, unreasonably butchered roles that he had mm-hmm. with um, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the, the Orlando Magic. But the dude is shooting – 73% in isolation, 61.4% on contested field goals, which is just way above his career marks there. Uh, he Nearly one-third of his shot attempts were coming on pull-ups, and a lot of those plays, this was going around on Twitter the other day, uh, yesterday, I think, 
uh, there these pull-ups off handoffs. He's shooting 45.2% on those. That, that's just not looking at what we've seen from him isn't sustainable. They have a top three offense. How is that sustainable? And one of the biggest red flags for me, I mean, Zabonis doesn't miss uh, ever. And But one of the bigger things for me is Miles Turner's only played in one game. So are we to believe that the Pacers are so good, Miles Turner comes back, and they're just going to be one of the top three or four teams or top five teams in the Eastern Conference? I don't buy it, and there might be a little bit more of an adjustment period with Turner on the court. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing unfounded Ewing theories or, or dumbass trade rumors once he comes back and maybe they slip a little bit. If his return from the concussion that, that he's dealing with uh, and whatever else he's dealing with, I think he has another injury too. What was it? Was it a neck injury? I can't remember. Uh it was neck, Our yeah. Concussion's so, the only one I know about. It was a neck soreness, and I mean, same difference, right? Whiplash. Let's just call yeah. it whiplash because that's funner. Um, <laughs> you know, what if he just comes back and it happens to coincide with a regression to the mean? I, I think there'll be some understated drama there. And all these guys, I just, I don't know. Is Corey Joseph going to shoot fifty-eight percent from three for the rest of the year? No. Oladipo's not going to shoot fifty percent from three. I, Darren Collison. His performance might be the most sustainable of everyone's. You can pencil him in for 14 points, 7 assists. Uh, maybe he'll shoot over 50% overall, but you could count on him for an above-average 3-point clip. I just, I honestly, I, I don't know if, if this, I, I like their equal opportunity vibe that they have going on the offensive end. There seems to be really good chemistry between these guys already. They're playing faster uh, than they have in years past. Maybe this team is better than we expected. I don't even remember if I had them penciled in as a playoff team, but I am not sold on this start even a little bit. Not not even close. Okay, here's my pushback. Um, starting with Oladipo, his basically every advanced stat was like a steady progression upward. PER, Winters per 48, box plus minus, all of it. Steady progression upward until he gets to OKC, which um, I wish I could remember how you described his role there because it was perfect. Uh, unreasonably just, butchered. There, there you go. It's like it I'm was describing someone's cold cuts. It was an unreasonably butchered role in OKC. And now that those, those numbers that were all trending upward, um, they turned around and went in the tank for one season. But if that trend line had continued... Um, this would just be the natural like fifth step. This is his fifth year. And it's, I mean, there aren't many players who improve each of like five straight seasons. So that's, that's a big assumption from me, but I, I feel like this is him just getting back on the trajectory that he was already on before OKC. I will concede, however, that a lot of those shooting numbers you threw out do not feel sustainable there there is some kind of regression coming for him there's a regression coming for Corey joseph like you said um sabonis's shooting percentage i tend to believe is is coming down a little bit although like i said with ben simmons i don't think he takes many bad shots so i i wouldn't be surprised if he still finishes like upwards of 55 percent um i think darren collison's probably going to come down a little bit too 53 and 38 is is pretty high <laughs> for anybody um, and then with Miles Turner, I, I could see some chemistry issues when he comes back. I think you could also maybe argue that his presence and the sort of attention that he'll demand from a defense might actually make it easier for some of these guys to, to come close to sustaining what they're doing right now. Like they're Victor Oladipo is not going to face 
quite as much attention. Sabonis isn't going to face as much attention. Maybe each of those guys gets one or two extra open shots per game. Um, now, even if that happens, I, I do think all these numbers are, are maybe coming down a little bit across the board. Um, but just overall, I, I think there is a lot to like with the Pacers. So what are you going with overall performance? Not sustainable, but the um, depot is. Um, I, I, so it's kind of funny because I, I provide the pushback, but I, I don't see them continuing to play at a 50-win pace, which is what they're at right now. Um, and, and I don't know, like I can't pinpoint where the regression is going to come that, that brings them back. So, so I think they're going to finish around 500 and be in contention for the playoffs. Um, does that mean that like, Sabonis suddenly is a little bit more like he was as a rookie. Maybe Oladipo drops down to like 19 points a game. Um, maybe Collison's shooting drops off a little bit. I think overall, I would say not sustainable, just in the sense that I don't think they're going to get to 50 wins. At what point would both of us, or even if just me, since I've been most bullish on their decline, am I wrong? Is it 20 games into the season? Is it 15 games? If this performance is holding, and it's like you said, they have a top three offense right now. Let's say that drops by six spots, but Turner comes back and the defense goes from, what is it right now, like 19th in points scored per 100 possessions? I can't even remember. The Pacers aren't uh, doing very well on the defensive end. They are 15th uh, average. I, I mean, if that balances out, the sweet spot in the NBA is to rank, I would say, in the top between the top 9 and 12 in both offensive mm-hmm. and defensive efficiency. They, if they're in that sweet spot 15, 20 games into the season, is that when I have to concede that I'm a moron? <laughs> well, maybe not that you're a moron, but maybe that you're a little too hard on the Pacers. The other thing we haven't mentioned, too, is if they if they have those sort of efficiency levels and are playing in the Eastern Conference, then suddenly like 45-plus wins doesn't seem so crazy. I am with you there, and uh, I guess that means it's time to move on. So we're both going the <laughs> verdict. So let, the verdict on the Pacers. I'm going to say not. I'm going to say not to, and if we just want a Victor Oladipo subhead, I'm saying also no. What are you saying? I will, I will say a tepid yes. <laughs> Look at the conviction there. <laughs> I say let's keep the team train rolling and go to the Orlando Magic. Another team, and I don't think their performance is sustainable one bit right now. I just I said this to you before the podcast. Can you name every single team per NBA.com that ranks in the top 10 of pace, offensive efficiency, and defensive efficiency? The Orlando Magic are the only team. And if we want to just say that the Warriors' defense is eventually going to get there like we all expect, this is company that is reserved for Golden State that the Magic are in right now, in no way, shape, or form is that sustainable. Uh, As a team, they're shooting 44.2% on three-pointers. That would be the best mark in NBA history. (laughs) Yeah, that's not happening. And just listen to these. Aaron Gordon, 4.3 three-point attempts per game, 57.7% conversion rate. Evan Fournier, 5.4 attempts per game, 55.8% conversion rate. Alfred Payton, who has only played in two games, is shooting 50% from beyond the arc. Maurice Spates, 4.4 attempts per game, 50% from beyond the arc. Jonathan Simmons, 2.5 attempts per game, 45% from beyond the arc. Nikola Vucevic, 4.4, 4, 
three-point attempts per game, 40% conversion rate. Uh, DJ Augustine is shooting 38.9%. Shelvin Mack is shooting 40%. It's I'm I'm sorry folks, it's just it's not happening. Uh, there's you look at Terrence Ross is somehow shooting 25.7% from 3, which makes zero sense given the Magic's hot start yeah, right now. Yeah. The one the one guy who was like well him and Fournier were like the three-point shooters on the team before the season started. Right. <laughs> um you could you could probably say that Aaron Gordon's three-point percentage that could drop like 20 points by the end of the season. <laughs> and even that would still be good. Like if he finishes the season at 38%, that's a good year for him from three. Um, Evan Fournier could probably drop 10% and still be a really, really good year for him. Vucevic could drop 5% and still be a really, really good year for him. Um, basically what I'm saying is, yeah, I, I think a lot of these numbers are going to come back down to earth. Um, each of Fournier, Gordon, and Vucevic, I- I'm guessing their scoring averages probably level off at least like two or three points lower than they are right now. I don't think Jonathan Simmons is going to be able to maintain this ridiculous level of efficiency. Um, he was, he was, I don't know if he ever had a stretch this efficient with the Spurs. So I, I don't see that <laughs> continuing either. I say all this saying that, you know, I, I think the last uh, episode we did together, I said that I, I'm ready to declare the Magic a playoff contender, and I think I'm I'm absolutely still there. In fact, they've shown more since then that would sort of uh, support that. But the, <laughs> so we said the Pacers were on a 50 win pace, the, the Magic are on a 60 win pace. That's <laughs> obviously not going to happen. I think, like I said with the Pacers, I think they end up playing around 500 basketball. Um, by the end of the season, that's so. I'm I'm obviously going not sustainable. I'll go not sustainable too, and I'll agree that more so than the Pacers for some reason. I guess I like their play style better and what they've they have some kind of vers- more versatile defenders in in my opinion. And I should I, say that like all I said was negative stuff. I love Aaron Gordon. Um, he's finally I, and, letting, and they're I mean they have him in his right position. He's finally letting the offense offense come to him it seems like he's abandoned this whole i want to be a yeah, wing who runs wing, pick and rolls yeah. and isos and i say this um I, I with less conviction than i had before the season because Vucevic has been ridiculous but i still really like the potential of an aaron gordon uh jonathan isaac front court and isaac has had a, a really small role so he doesn't get talked about as much as some of the other rookies but he's been really solid um especially defensively like he's averaging almost he he is averaging a block and he's averaging 0.9 steals per game in 18 minutes a game um he has their best defensive box plus minus by a substantial margin 3.7 the next closest is uh is Nuko, is excuse me Puchevic at 1.5 yeah so he's I, I think he's already a defensive monster i think gordon and, and isaac at the four or five that's Super interesting to me. We probably won't see a lot of it this year because, like I said, Bucevic has been awesome. Um, but, yeah, even given how much I like a lot of these players individually, it's it's really hard for me to see them, like, staying in the top tier of the Eastern Conference. Like, they're going to end up being in that mess of teams from, like, 5 through 10. I'm with you. It's completely unsustainable, and I think we we stepped on this in the last podcast that you and I did together, like you said. It seems like we underrated them. Uh, over underrated them, yes, in the sense that they do belong in that 
conversation for fringe playoff contention in the East, which is a wide discussion. So the fact that so many people left them out is, is a pretty big miss. A real mm-hmm. quick question on them, though. Who do you think, relative to their performance thus far, who has the most sustainable display? And I'm just going to give you my answer really quick. I have Jonathan Simmons because you're talking about his efficiency. If you look yeah. at his per 36 splits as a rookie with the Spurs compared to what he's doing with the Magic now, the scoring is absurdly different. But the efficiency, the permanent production on rebounds, assists, and steals, wildly similar. So, Like I, even I, the 52-45 shooting split? So this is in 20 – the no, the 45%, that would be a jump. But he shot 38.3% with the Spurs as a rookie from deep. Oh, that's still good. 50.4% from the field. 4.3 rebounds per 36 minutes. He's at 5.1 now. 2.6 assists for per 36. He's at 2.8 now. The steals are identical. The blocks are identical. He is not shooting and as a rookie. He shot 66.4% inside 3 feet. This year he's shooting 71.4. That's not incredibly way off. I'm going to roll with him. I'm curious who you would pick. As so the that's... most sustainable. Um I was looking at John Simmons per 36 numbers as you were laying him out there. And yeah, that's really interesting. He's, he's a lot closer to that than I would have guessed. The only thing Mine... I say though, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, no, you're fine. 55.8% of his assists, uh, bat, two point field goals came off assists as a rookie. Only 20.6% of his two point field goals have been assisted on right now. And I, I guess kind of like, it, it, the question is, can he be the guy who generates so much of, of his own offense? And that would be, I think, a fair question. But the Spurs always had him run some pick and roll and put him on ball as this pseudo point guard sometimes. No, I don't think he's going to continue to shoot 62.5% in isolation. But, I, I again, I'm going to pinpoint his performance thus far as what I think could be the most sustainable or accurate arbinger of anybody on the team. So I would go with, uh, and I know this might sound funny after the way I opened this portion, um, but I'll probably go with Aaron Gordon. And like I said, even if his three-point percentage did drop a whopping 20 points um, down to 38, I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to pull it up just to confirm, that would still be a career high for him by a wide margin. Like his his current career high in three-point percentage is 296 so if he ends up shooting 38, like that's that's a great year for him. And the reason I go with Aaron Gordon is I just t- to me he's the most um, like purely talented player on the team. I, I think he does so many things well. Um, he's another guy who's averaging a steal and a block per game. Um, he passes the ball a little bit. I, I, he's their best rebounder. I think a lot of the ancillary stuff is going to be just fine with him. And even if his, his shooting drops off a little bit and he still averages like 17 points instead of 21, um, that's still a, a really good year in my mind. I'm with you. And you know who's actually going to end up being the most sustainable? It's just going to be Nicole Vujevic because we didn't pick him. Yeah. <laughs> Second time I've uh, underestimated him in like the last two or three weeks. Who you want to roll with next? Um. So if we did you uh, did you bookmark the Grizzlies bench as an option? We did since because, we've done two teams. Yes. Let's keep the team train rolling. Oh, now and now we move on to a different kind of aspect, and that's just specific facets of the team, not the Grizzlies in general, even though they've played well. But I think 
if you were going to pick a team that was going to defy expectations because everyone was too low on them, it just would have been the Grizzlies, them and the Spurs. So the they Gri- have, uh, I was just going to say, they have, let's see, three bench players, value over replacement player. Um, I've got the top 100 pulled up. James Ennis <laughs> is 35th in the entire NBA. Tyreek Evans is 36th. Chandler Parsons is also in the top 100. He's at 81. Uh, my guess is he probably has a higher box plus minus than both of those guys. He's just playing so few minutes. I will um, point out that Ennis is a starter this year. Oh, geez. I'm glad you did. Um, I mean, still... Parsons, Parsons and Evans lead the Grizzlies in box plus minus right now. I told you this before the podcast. you want to know how much the Grizzlies are outscoring opponents by when... Evans and Parsons share the floor? Yes. 19.7 points per 100 possessions. That's in 106 minutes of action, (laughs) which at this point in the season, that's what we have to work with. Let's deal with it. More than half of those minutes have come in an all-bench unit that has Dylan Brooks, Mario Chalmers, Brandon Wright, Evans, and Parsons. And that all bench mob is outscoring opponents by 17.6 points per 100 possessions. Uh, that's that's an, yeah, absolutely just absurd. I'm going with unsustainable. Naturally, they have the the Grizzlies have the highest bench net rating in the league right now, and they're doing so with all these pieces that have basically just been cobbled together. They're they're odds and ends, and there's there are two ways to look at this in my mind. One, they could get better technically because Jermichael Green going to come back from an ankle injury, get into the starting lineup. Jarrell Martin's coming off the bench all of a sudden. Ben McLemore, if he returns from his toe injury. And then Wayne Selden, who wasn't playing a lot and is apparently dealing with a quad injury. Wayne Selden is good. So you could look at it as, wow, the Grizzlies' bench might be fine. I'm more so, if you're tethering your fate in any way to career efficiency from both Tyreek Evans and Chandler Parsons, something's wrong. And I just I, – I can't do it. And if you would have named – if you would have said which five benches have – are going to have uh, the most success this season, would the Grizzlies have even been one of your five options? I, I immediately think Warriors probably, Spurs obviously, maybe the Celtics, the Heat and the Jazz are super deep. I wouldn't have had the Grizzlies probably in my first – 12 guesses i I'm, I'm just ballparking it there so i don't think this is sustainable by any means maybe they're slightly better than advertised but i'll be shocked if we finish the year and we're saying that the grizzlies had a top 10 bench so first i just want to emphasize um you said parsons and evans were plus 19.7 when that duo was on the floor right I said 19.7 but it's actually 19.3 i hope our listeners <laughs> forgive me for well that that's gaffe. That's a negligible difference. Um, <laughs> Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, when they're on the floor, Memphis is outscoring opponents by zero point nine. And so what, there, <laughs> go ahead. And There's a healthy difference there. Obviously, I was going to ask if you had the Grizzlies starting lineup numbers up. Um, I don't. They're oh, wait, I, I have pull them, them up. up. Okay. The Grizzlies are starting lineup. The one with Conley is they're minus four point five points per one hundred possessions. The, neither the offense or defense stands out as good. You have to imagine some of that. Maybe you missed Jermichael Green yeah. uh, over Jarrell Martin. Conley hasn't been shooting the ball well. 
he's still a steadying presence on the floor, but you're so much better but off. But still, that's like shots. minus more for the starters compared to plus 17 for that all bench unit that you laid out. You could that's a massive. You can so tell that David Fisdale hails from Coach Spo in Miami because he's not of the mind that you need to start even four of your best players. <laughs> because Andrew Harrison and Jay Menace being in the starting lineup is just – it's not unforgivable, but you're basically saying I, I want – to have a good bench. And maybe that's how, once we kind of saw that that's the way he was leaning, maybe that's how we should have known the Grizzlies bench will be better than advertised. But it's just really tough given their collection of talent and who they're relying on right now off the bench for me to believe that they're going to be in the top eight or ten, and let alone the top three. Yeah. And you, at some point you said, you know, if somebody had asked you who would have the best benches this season, you probably wouldn't have thought Memphis. And I think one of the reasons I wouldn't have thought that is because I kind of expected all along that Tyreek Evans would start. Um, him against bench units, maybe this is just the role that he's been destined for his whole career. Now, I think he came off the bench. Yeah, he did come off the bench for most of last season. Um, but the vast majority of his career, he's been a starter. Um, maybe him as like, the the engineer of a bench unit is just the perfect role for him. Um, and he's flanked by a good shooter in, in Chandler Parsons, um, who I think is, is maybe finally healthy, and maybe they'll keep him this way with uh, the very, very limited role in, in minutes that he has. And I do think both of these guys, like you said, they're at career levels efficiency-wise. Like, Right now, this is the best PER Evans has have, ever had, the best box plus minus, uh, the best shooting, true shooting percentage. And it's by pretty significant margins in all those. And it's, it's extraordinarily rare to see someone do that in their, like, what is this, his eighth season? Um, yeah, no, you're right. Sorry. Ninth season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're going to regress a little bit, but I still I lean toward – uh, Tyreek Evans, like former rookie of the year, former 25 and five guy. Um, I think he should be able to feast on bench players. And even if he does, I, I've said this about three or four different players now, even if he does drop bop a little bit from what he's doing right now, I think it's still a really, really good season for him. And I think if Memphis is going to be, so this is like the third year in a row, probably that I've said, okay, Memphis is finally out of the playoffs. Um, I think if they do stay in the hunt for a playoff spot, it's it's 100% going to – not 100%. A big reason it's going to be uh, that bench for sure. I could maybe see Tyreek Evans' performance as sustainable, but a lot of it seems – I don't know. It seems bizarre. He's shooting 47.2% inside three feet of the basket, which is horrid, and maybe that goes up. But about 40%, 42% of all his shots have come from 16 feet or further out, and he's shooting – better than 43% on those looks in total. I don't view that. That's probably going to regress right. too, yeah. Maybe his finishing at the rim goes up, though. I, I could see it, but the Parsons thing to me, uh, is Brandon Wright going to stay healthy? Dylan Brooks, is he going to be this good defensively all year? Uh, I'm interested to see what ramifications the returns of Ben McLemore uh, and Jermichael Green and Wayne Selden have on the rotation. Maybe they're just resigned to perhaps not playing Wayne Selden. But what happens if McLemore comes back? You assume that they want to play him. Uh, Jermichael Green will probably, 
go back to the starting lineup, I would say, given how good the bench has been, that you're not even tempted to bring him off it, and I would rather have him than Jarrell Martin playing next to Marcus All. It's in terms of the in terms of the unsustainable options throughout this podcast, the Grizzlies for me probably come the closest to be Grizzlies bench probably come the closest to being sustainable just because of the way, way they're set up. But I'm just not I'm not buying it. And outside of Tyreek Evans, I don't know who off the bench that you can really just 100% buy into right now. Maybe Chalmers because he's been shooting really poorly, but still has that steadying presence. I, I just feel really optimistic this podcast. Um, so you're going I think sustainable? I'm gonna, yeah, I think I'm going to call them sustainable. Like maybe not world-beating bench, but I still think this— Top five? I, yeah, I think when this is all said and done, I, I think we're going to look back and say the, the Grizzlies bench is what kept them in the playoff hunt this season. We finally disagreed. <laughs> there you go. It's about time. I'm going to throw it now to a second— team facet and it's going to be the Celtics defense if we had said that they would trade Avery Bradley trade Jay Crowder Marcus Morris wouldn't have played yet this season you lose Gordon Hayward less than six minutes into the season you bring Kyrie Irving in for Isaiah Thomas all right let's just say that's a a lateral move defensively maybe you get a little bit better just because he's taller but knowing all of that and then knowing that you were going to start Jason Tatum, a rookie, start Jalen Brown, a sophomore, six of your, or a lot of your rotation players, I can't even remember the number right now, four of your six most used players haven't celebrated their 24th birthdays, 24th birthdays, excuse me. Knowing all this, would you have said that the Celtics would have the NBA's best defense? No, I would not have said that. Where would you have put them? I just blindly would you have even put them in the top 10 probably not uh i i would have thought their ceiling with all that youth um would have been like average like 15 16 and Kyrie irving is (laughs) i mean his that was that was one of the things i kind of hung my hat on with the irving trade was you know everybody talks about how bad isaiah thomas's defense is it's it's like a lateral move for the Cavs in that respect and he's been for for the first four or five games of the season, um, a lot of his positive value in terms of box plus minus was actually coming from the defensive end. Still to this point, basically all of Jason Tatum's positive value is coming from the defensive end, which shocked me, or shocks me. Um, there was a part of me that thought during the draft process, like, what if this is the wing version of Jaleel Okafor? Like, he's got some offensive skill, but he can't guard anybody. Oh, God. Um, I, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, that was way off. It's still super early, but he's already shown um, plenty on the defensive end to tell me that he's he's at least able to survive on that end. Um, Al Horford has always been a great defender. Um, so that was the one guy you could maybe look to and say, yeah, they'll, they'll be fine defensively. But all of the issues that you laid out um, would have led me to believe that they were going to be in deep, deep trouble after the Hayward injury. And what have they, they've won like six straight now? Yeah, they've won six in a row. I I never would have seen that coming. I'm going to say, though, that it's unsustainable, and I have... I would, too. (laughs) Yeah, I have have a few reasons why. And this is only they're so specific because I I went a little bit more in depth for this in an article the other day, or actually today. 
they've only faced one top 15 offense, and it's the Milwaukee Bucks, who they've played twice, granted them. And I was going to say that they are currently 30th in strength of schedule. Yeah, so (laughs) there you go. Um, Opponents are also shooting a combined 30.1% on open and wide-open three-pointers against them, which means that defenders are between four or more than uh, – or what is it? But open and wide open, is it four and six? Yeah, it's four and six plus, so four or more feet away. These guys are open. Their opponents are shooting 30.1%. Only the Magic's opponents are hitting a smaller share of their wide open looks from deep. I will say the Celtics do a really good job limiting – these three-point looks, but that sub-zero accuracy rate won't hold. Yeah, that's that's coming up for sure. And again, opponents are shooting 15% or six uh, under 16% against them on left corner threes. That's not going to happen all Yeah, season. that's, that's going to skyrocket. And just to throw this in, the average offensive rank of its opponent so far in terms of points scored per 100 possessions falls between 20th and 21st, so basically bottom 10. I'm just not with all the youth. They're they're going to regress. Marcus Morris, he's coming back. I believe we're recording this on a Friday. He's coming back tonight. I believe or or soon, whenever it's going to be. Or did he already make his season debut? I don't think he did. I don't think he has. Yeah. Well, I, he'll help, but it's just it's not it's not sustainable. And maybe we can say that they can be an above average defense now because you talked about their ceiling being average. Maybe it's slightly higher than that. They're not if they finish in the top seven of defensive efficiency, top five of defensive efficiency, I'll be absolutely floored. Yeah, I think they're coming back to the ground a little bit too. Um, like I said, they are they are better than I anticipated, and shout out to Brad Stevens and all those young guys for that, but I'm with you. I think uh, they're definitely coming back to earth a little bit. And just, I, I think this was Mika Adams uh, from ESPN just tweeted this as we were having this discussion. And this is mind-blowing to me. In each of Kyrie Irving's first six seasons, his teams were worse defensively when he was on the floor. The Celtics so far, 8.4 points per 100 possessions better with him on the court. Again, that's from ESPN.com. Yeah. Adams. I'm almost certain that's going to change a little bit. A, a little and bit? And a lot of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, a lot of that, too, probably has... I don't, I don't know how much time he spent on the floor with Al Horford, but... Um, that certainly has to be influencing that too. Uh, so we're both in agreement. Lockstep again, unsustainable. Yes, unsustainable. Uh, where do you want to bring it to next? Um, I know where you're going to bring it to. <laughs> we'll see. How about Ricard Rubio? Yep, that's exactly where I expected you to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to set the stage for this one. He for the first. The listeners can hear me quietly counting to myself. For the first six years of his career, all in Minnesota, he averaged 10.3 points, shot 37.5% from the field, 31.5% from three, um, averaged 8.5 assists, 2.1 steals. But I, I, To me, one of the more underrated players uh, in the league. This season, <laughs> he is like a completely different basketball player. He's averaging a career high in field goal attempts. One of my favorite stats of the season right now is that Ricky Rubio leads the Utah Jazz in total field goal attempts. He <laughs> shot the ball more than Rodney Hood, uh, more than Gobert, more than Favors, more than literally leads the whole Jazz. It's crazy to me. Um, 
So 12.9 field goal attempts per game. That's a career high. 43.7% from the field, career high. 37.2% from three, career high. 17 and a half points, uh, career high by like six points. Um, the assists are down, and I think that's just because Utah moves the ball a little bit differently than, than a lot of teams do. Um, six and a half assists, 2.1 steals still. But really, I mean, obviously this is more about his offense than anything else that he's doing. Um, <laughs> Ricky Rubio, 18 and seven point guard. Is that even remotely sustainable to you? His effective field goal percentage too. Last season was his career high at 44.8. This season it's right now, it's at 51.5. Another just massive leap. Here's, uh, all right, so uh, this might be crazy, and maybe I'll even surprise you. I'm going to say his performance, by and large, is sustainable because he's never really been on a team that needed someone or needed him to take these shots. And we know that, you know, Donovan Mitchell, perpetual heat check. Uh, yeah. Hood can sometimes... Who, by the way, Donovan Mitchell, second on the Utah Jazz in total field goal attempts. That order would have never been guessed in a million <laughs> years. Never. It's hilarious. The, the only thing, uh, the three-point percentage is the red flag to me. Can you guess? Yeah. He's attempted 43 three-pointers. Can you guess how many of them have been uncontested? Defender four or more feet um, away from him. I, I'll say 20. 40. Oh, geez. 40 of 43. So d- wow. the defenses are still sagging off him. And if you're going to give him that shot, maybe he's going to start hitting it. I think to close the year last year, and I should probably look this up, but he was shooting like league average from three. Let's say defenses ramp up the, the sp- like, or excuse me, diminish the space they're leaving for him. That that will go down, but the Jazz need him. I'm not saying he's going to lead them in, uh, in shot attempts for the entire year, but... I'll talk myself into a career high points per game for Ricky Rubio. Let's say 15 plus. I think the assists will probably come up if the Jazz offense hits more of its shots. Again, as Joe Johnson gets healthy and maybe you induce more shot creators into the fold, some of these things could fluctuate. I I, I think that this is going to be relatively sustainable. And I there there are even areas where he might improve. He's shooting 36.4% inside three feet of the basket, which even for him, is That's crap crazy? Yeah. <laughs> so I just and no, he's not going to shoot. He's and he's also and I'm just seeing this now. Almost thirty percent of his shot attempts have come between sixteen feet and the three point line. So long twos. Which, he, he's shooting fifty three point three percent on them. Again, some of these numbers. I'm not. Here's here's my thing. If you're going to continue to give Ricky Rubio space, like defenses are doing right now, I think he's at the point where he doesn't hesitate as much. And so more of those shots are going to go in. And I'm going to point to his last 20 games last season. He averaged 3.1 field goal attempts from deep per game, and he shot 34.4%. That's a 20-game sample is not nothing. If you expand that to include, if you go three games deeper to 23 games, he shot 35.8% to close the season. That's I'm I'm not saying Ricky Rubio is all of a sudden this above average shooter, but if you're going to give him space and he's not going to hesitate as much, I think he's going to hit more of his jump shots. So I'm going to say, and I'm not sure if I'm surprising you, maybe you were going to say sustainable too. <laughs> I think this performance, for the most part, with the exception of 
his efficiency from deep a little bit, and I don't know that he's going to bleed the Jazz in shot attempts all year. I, I still think we're going to see career high in points per game, and it wouldn't shock me to end up seeing him lead the Jazz in scoring. That would not shock me. So, this is another... Um... This is going to be another tepid yes for me. And it's for a lot of the reasons that you already mentioned. I'm trying to look up Rubio's uh, Eurobasket stats. Because, so, his second half of last year, I think, was a good indicator. And, like you said, we're dealing with a relatively small sample. But if you combine that, um, that second half from last year, with Eurobasket, which is obviously it's a step down in competition, but it's it's still very good professional players. Um, at Eurobasket, he shot 42% from the field, 37 from three, and 95 from the line, and averaged 15 per 36. Um, and his role with the Jazz is closer to what it is with the national team than what it was with the Timberwolves. Like you said, they they need somebody to score. Um, no, I, I, I also would never have guessed that Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell would lead the team in shot attempts, uh, eight games into the season. But it's, there, there are times when you watch that team play, it's like, how are they ever going to score? So you need two guys who can kind of, um, find creases in the defense to be able to get open shots up. And, and right now those are about the only two guys who can do it. Rodney Hood can, um, but I think we've reached a point in his career where, where we can probably comfortably say that he's just wildly inconsistent. Like Poor man's in the, Chris Middleton. <laughs> in, in the last game they played, he was 0 of 11 from the field. And, and he can get to that mid-range shot pretty much whenever uh, he wants to. But he is just so inconsistent. So I think they're going to rely on Rubio to score a lot this season. I think I agree with you. I think his assist number is coming up a little bit. I think once defenses start to respect his shooting a little bit and maybe crowd that pick and roll a little bit more, it's going to open up the the Rudy Gobert lob, which I think is like priorities one, two, and three for defenses right now, is clog up the paint and don't let uh, Gobert get open dunks. So I think that's going to change. But – Again, like you said, career highs in points, um, maybe even like effective field goal percentage, I think those are all very, very much in play for Ricky Rubio. And the other thing that um, I think can't be underestimated is just uh, what having like the right coach-player relationship can do for a player. Uh, it's it's super early to, to say this, but Rubio, like a week or two after the Jazz traded for him, said something like, this is already the most I've ever talked to a coach in my career um, was him and Quinn Snyder. And he's obviously playing with a freedom and a confidence that we haven't seen from him before, at least as a scorer. So I think there's, there's a little something brewing there too. I think this might just be like the healthiest role and spot for him mentally so far in his NBA career. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a tepid yes unsustainable for him too. Um, and the reason it's just the reason I'm not gung ho is these are massive leaps for a guy um, this late in his career, which is like we've said a couple times, it's it's super rare. And I, the only thing for me though, and this would be the bigger will Ricky Rubio lead the Jazz in scoring? What's your gut feeling? Yes or no? I've already said yes. Oh man, I just I'm, here's my I'm gonna say 
Gosh, Go ahead. This is hard. I'm going to say no. Oh, if not, I, I feel like Rodney then? Hood will end up. I, I think Rodney Hood will end up leading them at like 15.5 or something so like that. So you just see more than you see Hood Hood's play or scoring, or playing time or scoring increasing, you just see Rubio's dropping by that much? Yeah, I think they're going to have – I think Rubio um, – I think Hood, Rubio, Gobert are all going to be like around 15 points. And then there will be a notch – like Favors will be around 12. Ingles will be around 10. But it's going to be between those three, Gobert, Hood, and Rubio. All right, I, I still wouldn't even throw out the possibility of Gobert leading the team in scoring. You wouldn't? I, I, no, I mean, with this I, I team, think... it's so it's it's you could name. Could you rule out for Donovan Mitchell, who's taking almost as many shot attempts as Ricky Rubio right now? Uh, just... Man, if he, I, I he's a hit more of them, but he is an emotional roller coaster as a Jazz fan because you know those be first great? five games were like nightmarish. If... But he's been really good for the last three, and like you said, he th- that dude is a chucker. Um, so I. <laughs> As crazy as this sounds, like even that might be in play. I'm I'm gonna say this. Do you know who should lead this team in scoring? Joe Ingles. If he took wish, more shots, man. he should be the one that leads this team in scoring. I really wish. He, to this day, this is something that Jazz fans have like screamed at their TVs over for three or four years now. He passes up so many wide open threes. Yes. Um God, no, I'm not I'm want... not trying to make this comparison ten times over, but it's like the Chris Middleton of two years ago. Yeah. Just passing up threes. I'm not comparing Chris Middleton. This is a little bit more athletic than Joe Ingles, but. <laughs> Although Joe, Joe is, uh, I'm going to go to bat for him now. Maybe it's just how smart he is, but he, he finds himself in the right position a lot. Um, you I don't need to go to bat for Joe Ingles with me. Come on. <laughs> That's right. Didn't we establish that you ranked him higher than anyone else that did like top 100 this year? Yep. And I, I okay. stand by it. I think he's, uh, how do you he not like good, Joe Ingles? Man. Yeah. Guess um, how many uh, field goal attempts per 36 minutes uh, Donovan Mitchell takes? 18. You are correct. No. Um, For some reason, I thought I was going to end up being on the low end. I want to see where that ranks in the NBA right now. It's, I'm sure it's first on the Jazz. I'm, I'm running the search right now. I can tell you right now if it's first on the Jazz, and the answer is a resounding hell yes. <laughs> Rodney Hood is kind of close, but like all the other people, the it's Royce O'Neal and Alec Burks are three and four. So guys who don't really yeah, haven't really played. Never play. So I did it uh, by players who've played at least 50 minutes this season and sorted by field goal attempts per 36 minutes. Donovan Mitchell is 21st in the entire NBA. That is absurd. I'm going to – hold I love, on. I love him. Even when the shots aren't going in, just shoot it, man. I love it. <laughs> I am so torn on him because, like I said, the last three games is like, whoa, there, there could absolutely <laughs> be something here. I just upped it to 100 minutes, and he's 18th in uh, field goal attempts per 36 it's minutes. Like you're, you're trying to stave off visions of this J.R. Smith-Jamal Crawford hybrid. <laughs> something a little bit more. He is shooting more shots per 36 minutes than Bradley Beal, John Wall, Stephen Curry, Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson. I can't remember what game it was. Crazy. I can't remember what game it was uh, that that they were playing, and I was watching them. Was it the Clippers game? 
uh, did they play the Clippers yet? Am I imagining it, this? He just kept you shooting. You can name. He just, no, no, but it was just like <laughs> they were down, and he took it upon himself to, I guess, basically say, I'm going to shoot us back into this game. And it was uh, just because of the confidence with which he was firing away, I expected all of his looks to go in. And it you could tell me literally game. any game on the schedule, and you'd be like, <laughs> yes, correct. It was that game. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. both of us are going sustain- mostly. I'm going sustainable for Ricky Rubio. You're giving a tepid sustainable. Um, I think we should get Let's one. Let's break more. the record for how many times I can say tepid in one podcast. All I right, think I might have already done it. I think you're there because we're, you're at like 50. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think so. We have a bunch more we want to get to. I think we go one more and then just do five really rapid fire ones. Who do you want to talk about more, Steph, Kristaps, or Boogie right now? Oh, um, don't you just love how this Chris live Stapp. planning on the podcast? Yeah, peeking behind I'll, I'll go. I'll go Kristaps for my uh, Knicks diehard, Dan Favelli, and Phil Jackson diehard. I should add. Yes, um, excuse me. No. Oh, really? <laughs> I was hoping you were going to go Steph or Boogie. To be honest, yeah, let's go Kristaps though. Okay, that so I, I have that list pulled up that I that we got a good laugh at over uh, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I'm sure you can guess who is number one in the NBA in field goal attempts per 36 minutes. I would never be able to guess that. Giannis Antetokounmpo. No, it's Chris Stapps. Oh, I did not know that. I know <laughs> he has the league's highest usage rate, so I probably should have that. Yeah, his usage is, like you said, leads the league. Um Rookie year, he was at 24.6. Second year, he's at 24.3. This year, he's at 35.1. Um, and I think he's second in the league in scoring right now. Uh, I think it's he dropped down to fourth after that clunker. Again, the, oh, third. He's third. 27.9 points. Boogie, maybe? Boogie's got 30.1. Attentacoon's okay. at 31.3. I don't think in a million years that we could have guessed the top 10 in scoring right now. It's Giannis. Then Demarcus, then Kristaps, then Steph, then Anthony Davis, then Harden, then Lillard, then LeBron, then KD, then Kemba. Like the even the order, yeah, like the, some of the substance. Giannis, you could have guessed maybe one of Cousins or Davis, but both in the top five. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, carry on. This this season has been like wild. I had Buku I had a lot bonkers, and I love it. <laughs> I had a law classmate ask me the other day, just we're just walking through the hall, and he's like. So how's the NBA season going this year? And I was like, um, where do I start in this like 10-second walk that we have to class? It's just been insane. But anyway, back to Chris Dapps. Um, like you said, 30, or third in the league in scoring, first in usage. Um, I, I don't really see anything he's doing that's not sustainable. Like His true shooting percentage is, is right around league average. Right, his, um, and his I three don't, point rate like, has who's been fluctuating. Start... That seems like it's going to be a norm with the Knicks. Yeah, and who's going to take shots away from him? Like the only thing that I think we can really talk about as a possibility for unsustainable is the usage, but I don't see like who takes it away from him. Right. I. I mean, I was concerned leading into the season that Michael Beasley and Tim Hardaway Jr. would kind of eat into his share. I'm so I'm... sad that Beasley's like barely even playing. I'm not sad about that even slightly. <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm. And Tim Hardaway Jr. has not been good except for, I think, one or two performances. Yeah. I, I The only thing that worries me about Kristaps, aside from, obviously, the health caveats, would just be he's not used to shouldering this load for an entire season, and the burnout is real. Maybe the Knicks are going to pull him and shut him down at some point this year. There was already one Eastern Conference executive told 
Ian Begley of ESPN.com that if the Knicks want to tank, Kristaps is too good for them to do so. And maybe it gets to the point. They're not a good team. Like maybe they'll flirt with 32, 34 wins with him. But that might be his best bet at sustainability is not playing the entire year because this is a big burden. His usage declined last year as a sophomore because the Knicks were dumbasses and played him (laughs) with Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony. But again, we saw that he could kind of carry the load in those all bench mobs last year. I I think this is mostly it's like you said to me it's mostly sustainable. There there are some things that are concerning and that's you're already kind of seeing defenses key in on him more. Uh 16 over 16% of his attempts have come with a defender inside 2 feet of him. So very tight looks. That's up from 14.7% last year. Giannis Antetokounmpo and shockingly Josef Nurkic are the only two players who have launched more total looks in from the very tight spaces and then just defensively still a very good rim protector but opposing offenses are trying to pull him out of the paint because he's playing power forward 98 percent of his minutes have come at power forward that's we expected this but it's stupid and when you this is and this tracking data from nba.com i'm about to drop it's not perfect when you're journeying onto the perimeter but when he's going to be on the outside this much it's a problem he's contesting 4.9 three-pointers per game 390 nba players have played in at in more than one game this year so two or more games 390 nba players no one is contesting more three-pointers than Kristaps porzingis well that is shocking so that's that's a problem which is why i think you mash that all together we'll see some slight regression but i think it's fair to say that he could be a top seven scorer on reasonable efficiency while still doing his thing as a good rim protector. Yeah, I, I don't really see anything when I look at his line that I'm like, that's definitely coming down. If anything, I see a couple numbers that could go up. Um, Please deliver but, those. Well, like you said, the three-point percentage has been kind of up and down. I, To me, I, I think that's a guy um, who can comfortably shoot league average from three. Right now he's at 33.3. Uh, last year he was just under 36. Um that that would probably be the main one. Uh, he was a guy, another guy that I, I paid close attention to at Eurobasket and just thought the way he is dominating this sort of lower level of competition, I was really curious to see what he would look like this season as the obvious number one on the Knicks. And um, I, I don't think I saw him shooting it 24 times per 36 minutes, but I'm not that stunned. Uh, with what he's doing, and I, I think he'll end up averaging near 30 points a game for the year. It's, to me, if you're not going to milk Tim Hardaway Jr., which the way he's been shooting, you shouldn't, who, there's no one else who's going to take those shots. Like Cantor, even if no. you feed him in the post, it's not going to be him. And he's never, like even in, as a starting center, he's still playing, what, like 20 minutes a game? Yeah, so it's, and you that tweet you had the other day was unforgivable. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to hear your uh, live reaction to that. Uh, it, I was like, is this guy kidding? I'm <laughs> he, surprised it took you so long to see my quote tweet on it. I reported you to Twitter. I must have I just, uh, yeah, I know. I must have been in class or something. I'm surprised I haven't seen still you yet. He still leads. I, I just want the listeners to know because it it almost warms the cockles of my heart. Wow. That, <laughs> <laughs> that Cantor has a better box plus minus, true shooting percentage, and PER than Porzingis, and win shares for 48. Anyway, 
Just silence. The Hardwood Knox podcast will be dissolving after this. <laughs> the partnership is over. I'm so we're both for Kristaps. We're gonna go. I'm not I'm going full blown sustainable. I'm gonna say mostly. Okay. There's this so is my this hedge. time. It's your tepid. Yeah. This is my this is my tepid, my tepid sustainable. And yet I still add to my record for how many times I've said it. I'm proud of you. Okay, so I'm gonna put you on the spot right now, and I'm gonna okay. give you. 30 seconds on these next five to tell me uh, sustainable or not breakouts. DeMarcus Cousins, he is second in the league in scoring right now, and I don't, I'm not singling out a facet of his game. It's just DeMarcus Cousins as he is. Um, I'm going to say sustainable. Not only is he second in the league in scoring, he's averaging 5.9 assists, uh, career high, 13 rebounds, career high. 2.1 steals, career high. 2.3 blocks, career high. Um, let's see, effective field goal percentage, 55.5, career high. I think a lot of those might come down a little bit, but uh, as is the theme with this podcast, even if he does drop like one or two off each of those counting stats, it's still an absurd year. And the reason I'll say it's sustainable, um, beyond Davis, Cousins, and I'll just say beyond Davis and Cousins, that team is rough. Drew Holiday, Holiday is – he's solid, yeah. but he's not even close to those two guys. So those two have to do a lot, and they're going to have to do a lot all season. So I think his his counting numbers are going to be absurd all year long. I'm going to I'm gonna go with you here. The only thing I'm just going to add, he just really – if he could just bring it on defense more than once every other game or once every third game for real would be spectacular. I'm gonna he throw, also leads the league in minutes played per game. I That, that too. Um. I, but again, he he looks great, sustainable. I'm actually going to throw a bonus one in here really quick. Anthony Davis has shot over 40% on long twos in each of the last three seasons. He's basically cut those shots out of his offensive diet right now. He's now shooting threes, around, right? He, yeah, and he he's shooting more threes. Do you th- do you buy into him shooting around league average or better from three this season? Yes. Um, I feel like I've said yes to like almost every I'm going <laughs> to go with you just I'm, because you look at those long two numbers. And... Exactly. I, I've thought for two or three years now, like, man, if that, if this his, his form is great. So I've always thought if he just takes like two steps back, uh, what would that do for his game? And it looks like he's finally kind of done that. You heard it here first, folks. Anthony Davis is good at basketball. <laughs> um, Stephen Curry, who I'm just going to – we're going to – I think we have to more nuance his, the window that we're working with for him. He is the Warriors' best player, which I think right now, and I think you could have argued that last year as well. So do you think this is sustainable, him as the Warriors' best, most valuable player playing like he did during his two consecutive MVP award stretch? Uh, yes. Um, last year was like an adjustment year for him. His – his like literally the greatest offensive season of all time was 2015-16 Stephen Curry. I'm convinced of that. Without question. Uh, it was the all-time best offensive box plus minus at 12.4. His win shares per 48. There there's like a hand I, I don't have it pulled up, but there's maybe like 10 guys who've had win shares per 48 over 0.3 and he was one of those last year. Um or not last year, 2015-16. His 31 and a half PER led the league that year. Anyway, um He's pretty close to a lot of those numbers this season. Like he's a 30 and a half PER this season. He's an 11.2 offensive box plus minus. Um, the record was 12.4 that he set two years ago. His win shares per 48 is actually higher this year, 0.323. Um, Saying something because the Warriors have not been that good overall. Yeah, yeah, they're not winning as much. So 
I think last year he, he over the course of the season and especially into the playoffs, he figured out how to be himself with Kevin Durant on the team, and now he's being himself with Kevin Durant on the team. Another thing, he's got a higher true shooting percentage right now than he did in that absurd 15-16 season. So I think he's figured out um, how to be Stephen Curry with another like super, super, superstar on his team, and I think this is the guy we're going to see all year. I have absolutely nothing to add to that. And you know what? He's not even shooting as well around three feet of the basket as he was last year, for instance. That could go up. Yes, his fifty-seven percent clip between three and ten feet might go down, but I don't see, I I don't see him regressing much, if at all. Now we're gonna get to some more tough ones. Spencer Dinwiddie with the Nets in in sustainable or not when you're looking at his play right now. (laughs) I'm gonna go sustainable uh, once again. Maybe his efficiency. Maybe his efficiency drops a little bit. This is a guy I liked uh, coming out of the draft that year he was taken. And with, uh, I think opportunity was always a big thing with him. And with Jeremy Lin going down in the first game, um, he, he has to have that opportunity. There's really nobody else who can take those minutes. So I think just by default, he's going to continue to be pretty good. I, and I'm just going to, I'm going to say yes with you. And I'll probably be more tepid than not because the the Nets are so weird with their minutes distribution distributions, and I think there's some of an element of surprise here. But what really helps him is that he was good in 59 appearances for the Nets last season. And now yeah. that we don't have Jeremy Lin there, now that we've seen D'Angelo Russell kind of regress, a lot of the responsibility is going to fall on him. And what might also take away from it is they're kind of a free for all sometimes with their ball handlers. But if Karis LeVert isn't shooting as well. They're not going to want him to run pick and rolls all the time. The the focus that they've given him right now, assuming it remains anything close to where it is when his usage is going to hover around 20%, I think he'll be, he'll finish right where he is right now. Probably not shooting 46.4% from three, but I'm going to roll with you here. Mike James, Phoenix Suns, 27 year old rookie, Mike James, Eric Bledsoe, who am I right? Um, Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say just because I've said so many yeses, I'm going to go with no. I don't think he'll shoot 42% from three all year. Um, everything else seems is moderately sustainable, and there's really nobody to – so like Dinwiddie, there's really nobody who's going to take this role away from him. Mm-hmm. Maybe once they like completely throw in the towel, they go with the younger guy in, in Tyler Eulis and maybe try to get him a little bit more run. Maybe that plays into – this not being sustainable, but um, overall, yeah, I, I think the effective field goal percentage drops a little bit. The scoring drops a little bit. It's incredible, but the Suns are running a top 10 offense and defense over their last five games. And that's... They're 4-1 yeah. in those games. That's not sustainable, but Mike James is a big part of it. I love the effort he brings on defense, and he's, he's a killer when it looks like he's going to come around screens for a pick and roll, but he just stops and pulls up. Um. I'm going to say sustainable. I don't I don't think the Suns are going to be good necessarily with him on the floor all the time, but I think this is a guy who belongs in the NBA, and it's really starting to show. Moving on to our final one, Otto Porter being the Wizards' best player. Um, in, in those terms, no. I think John Wall will end up taking the crown back from him, but he's absolutely been their best player uh, to this point, and I think he was closer to their best player than people realize um last season i a lot of what he's doing i i don't think is going to change he's he's already proven himself over the course of all of last season he's a great shooter 
Uh, he's a switchy defender, guard a bunch of different guys and guard them effectively. Um, and now he's doing that with like an increased workload on offense, which is impressive to me. I think the overall contributions uh, of Wall as sort of the uh, the engine for that team, and you know, a twenty and ten guy, that's that's hard to find anywhere. I think he'll end up being the the clear number one on that team still. But Otto Porter being in the discussion is is certainly a thing. I've literally zero to add to that. He's going to be their second best player, and a lot of people still like to say that it's uh, Bradley Beal. I Beal, have no doubt yeah. in my mind. I think there was an argument last year that he was their second best player. I don't think it's even going to be a question this year. And the only reason he won't be their best player is we have to expect John Wall's shooting percentages to kind of rebound a- across the yeah. board. I have one for you real quick before we wrap it up. Man, we were just given all kinds of bonuses. I love this. <laughs> Blake Griffin. Sustainable. 20... Okay, go ahead. I'm just, oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say 23, 8, and 5, um, shooting 43% on five three-point attempts a game. That might go down, but if you just look at his his overall performance, and he's shooting 53-plus percent or 54-plus percent when he takes seven or more dribbles. We've seen him do a lot of face-ups this year, uh, the, and that's fine. He's He looks like a top-15 player again, and that, that's probably what do you buy Blake Griffin entering the top-15 discussion for this season, assuming he stays healthy, and I absolutely do. And I was looking at this yesterday. Listen to his production per 36 minutes last year without Chris Paul on the floor. 23.2 points, 9.7 rebounds, 6.4 assists, 50% shooting, 37.5% shooting from three. Now look at his per 36 minutes output this year, and we know that Chris Paul is not on the team, just in case anyone forgot about that. 24.5 points, an increase of less than 1.5 points per 36, 8.7 rebounds, so that's gone down, 5.1 assists, very close to 6.4, 48.6% shooting, again, very close to that 50% clip, and then 43.2% from three. Uh, that that number will perhaps regress to the mean, but he's this is a he was a good three-point shooter toward the end of last season, so we need to talk about this. No, he won't shoot 60-plus percent on post-ups all season. Uh, no, he probably won't switch on defenses seamlessly because I've been kind of impressed with what him and Danilo Gallinari have done when when they switch sometimes, like both of them, even when they're on the court separately, but that's a different issue. I, I, some of this stuff is going to change, but Blake Griffin, I think we're going to talk about him as a top 15 player this year. Um, I'm with you. I might even say top 10. Hell yeah. Look at you finally stepping out on the limb. <laughs> so yeah, I think he's sustainable too. Um man, this was this was such a feel good, happy, optimistic podcast. I think we went sustainable on almost all these. I mean we, we churned um, through fifteen topics, so and more when you consider the <laughs> ancillary ones that we kind of talked about as well when we gave you just, yeah. just some bonus talk about Donovan Mitchell. We basically covered like thirty five things, so we were we were basically hitting topics at the same rate Donovan Mitchell takes shots. Except we were, I would say, being we were correct more our, than he was yeah, hitting our his field shots. goal percentage <laughs> was astronomical. We were like Yanni's efficiency with Mitchell's confidence. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that is the best way to end the podcast ever. <laughs> if you would like to um, tell us that. Our efficiency was not quite Yanni level or even better. Uh, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. As always, uh, leave us a review. That helps. Um, telling a friend would just be 
marvelous. Get get people you know to subscribe to it. Um, and as always, we leave you with an obligatory shout out to Bino Udri. And I can't remember who else. Kyle we Anderson. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. It'd be kind of funny if like the shout out list ballooned to a bunch of different people. It probably um, Shout out Kyle Anderson forever. But for now, it's Kyle Anderson and Bino Udri. Till next time. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. At CVS Health Hub, you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab what you need all in one trip, even on evenings and weekends. That's healthier made easier. Visit a CVS Health Hub today. Services vary by location. See cvs.com slash health hub for details.